Hey, 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 this is Sarah Longacre, birth doula since 2000, owner of Bluma, and lover of a good cocktail and great conversation. I got two stools, a full bar, and loads of great people lined up to pull back the curtain with real life conversation. So let's dive deep and belly up to the bar. Hey, 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 it's Sarah Longacre, host of Belly Up, lover of a good cocktail, and man, do I love real conversations, especially with somebody who bellied up to me, with me today. I kind of feel like we bellied up at a Vietnamese restaurant because we have spring rolls and fried tofu, no meat, a ginger beer, and a LaCroix maybe with a little something in it. And the person that is bellying up with me today is going to be, I would say, a triple annual guest a couple times a year. Wow. And it's, it, wasn't a, it wasn't a short drive to belly up with me today. I believe I can do it in about five hours, but I'm thinking she can, she's safer than I am. <laughs> and she's more conservative. Um, today I have a really... I'm going to try not to cry, but I have a really ridiculously special guest because um, of so many reasons that we're not going to go into today. She is the lover of birth. She's the lover of health and laughter and friendship. And she and I can go far on so many things. Um, She's a mentor to me. And most importantly, One of her roles is a mother, a mother to five human beings that in the year 2021 range from age 17 to four. That's a spread, girlfriend. Right on. That's a spread. (laughs) So I'm going to sit back and enjoy my cocktail. And if you bellied up with me today and you didn't know who I was, I want you to tell me a little bit about your journey of motherhood and mothering five people and a unique story and a path that you walked. Right on. I never dreamed of having five children, at least not giving birth to five children. I think I grew up um, especially thinking about my grandmother, who lived on a farm and was a first grade teacher and a church organist and a Sunday school teacher and raised her own three kids and sometimes raised two nieces um, and was always the house that people were welcome at. And so whether it was coming home from college over Thanksgiving and having foreign exchange students show up with us, um, everybody was always welcome around her table Wait, hold on. That sounds like someone's house I know. (laughs) I have heard that. Including the foreign exchange women. I have heard that. foster mom. Before, including at my dear grandma's funeral. Um, and, And that's just always the home I wanted to have and to provide for people. So I always thought I'd have a full home. Um, I thought maybe through adoption, uh, not sure. I also always envisioned, um, I met my now partner, when I was 15, we did not know we would be together forever and ever eventually. But um, 
I did always have this very intuitive piece that I would have a daughter with him, and I could picture her. And um, we did get together after college and um, kind of me sowing my wild oats, and it's fair to say. <laughs> oh, it's beyond fair to say. And maybe another marriage. Yeah. And, For um, both of you. No. I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> Um, Rumors do happen at Delia. <laughs> right. So we we found each other in our adulthood, and um, we did decide to get married and make it forever, and um, we decided to have a family, and um, we decided not to find out the sex of the baby, um, and I was kind of surprised. I don't know why I was caught off guard, but when the baby was born and it was a boy, instant love for him. Um, but a little bit of surprise. I just always envisioned the two of us with this little girl, and it, it wasn't. So I thought, okay, that must have been a different, a different child or a different dream, um, and went on to uh, Ben is the oldest. Um, he's a boy, has a little sister, and I'm the baby, and I have a big brother. So I guess I just identified and kind of assigned that same picture in my head of how my family would come up and uh two kids a boy two and a kids girl. you got it yeah maybe and a white picket fence and a dog right exactly um definitely the dog <laughs> <laughs> and I met you Sarah during that time so you learned she approached me in a dark dark February night in a parking lot was it at the Hamlin library was it the Hamlin library oh my gosh that's a whole nother so yeah, fell you in quick, love. You, you quickly got pregnant. I mean, oh my like, goodness, TMI. But this is belly up. So you know, as a doula, um, background in health. My partner is a healthcare provider. We know how these things work. Um, but yeah, I was like, where's that cycle? You know, your <laughs> that first cycle. When's that coming? Um, and that didn't really come around. So uh, Father's Day, when my firstborn was 15 months old, I believe, I I told Ben that we were going to have another baby and decided to find out that time because I, you know, felt like I knew what this is going to be, this, this sex of this baby. It's going to be a girl, but I'm just going to go ahead when they offered the anatomy scan to take a peek. And it was not a girl. Shocked. So two little boys. Um, my brother also had two boys by then. So I was like, okay, there's a trend here. Okay. Um, we hadn't really talked about family planning and how many kids we would have, but we just kind of left things be and raised these sweet, lovely little boys that couldn't be more different from one another. <laughs> and you know, started some businesses, got some graduate degrees, changed some jobs, moved a bunch of times. And I still had this piece of thinking there was a daughter between us. So did some research looking at, you know, are there things that you can do? And there, there are books about things you can do, and I've read them. Not really on board with the science behind those. Um, they didn't show to be really effective strategies. So, um, Foreshadowing. Yeah. <laughs> so we 
we kind of moved on from there and we decided, you know, we are probably going to have a third child and thinking it would probably be beneficial for me to find out ahead of time the sex of the baby, uh, 20 weeks anatomy scan, found out the sex of the baby and was devastated that it was a third little boy, little three little birds. Mm-hmm. Um, Tell me what the word devastated means to you. Hmm. Just a really dark place, a really low place, sucked all the energy out of what otherwise are joyful pregnancies. I'm one of those horrible people that although I feel sick and tired, I just love being pregnant. I love being with a human all day long and all night long until it gets comes out terribly uncomfortable. Um, and um, but then had the most peaceful, healing, rejoiceful birth of this child. He was this remarkable, very feminine, delightful, artistic, gorgeous boy of a human being, and enjoyed him completely. But did feel sad that I had spent half of a pregnancy, you know, working through who he wasn't. Um, and one of the things my husband said all along, which was really helpful, was that he was always a boy. He hmm. he had his DNA mm-hmm. right from the beginning. And so although we found out at 20 weeks that he was a boy, it was always there. Mm-hmm. And that was really helpful when we found ourselves pregnant with <laughs> Another child. <laughs> but wait, let's, let's just pause real quick. So pregnant with three, you find out at 20 weeks that the sex is a male. Yeah. And so there's just a spinning of kind of darkness of this is not what I expected. Where are the pink? Like, tell, can you just, can you give a little, um, uh, just some textual feelings or what what were you thinking it would be like if it was different? Hmm. That's a good question. It was 12 years ago and 12 and a half years ago, and I could I can't. It was just blank. dark. Honestly, it dark. it's blank in my memory mm-hmm. because of the rest of the story. Yeah. It's been sort of changed and replaced and and now I know this person and he couldn't be any different than who he is. Of course, right? These yeah. these three children are just exactly who they're supposed to be. Mm. Um and it's not about fulfilling something for me um anymore because I've I've had some fulfillment um on that path. But finding myself with number four uh, the, the lesson that taught me, and, and people have often asked, like, should we find out, especially if we have strong feelings? And, you know, I don't like to give other people advice, but my advice to myself had been to find out early and to take time to get to know so I didn't have disappointment upon meeting a child and recovering postpartum. And with the fourth birth, I decided not to do that. Just I went ahead and and got, you know, this therapist on speed dial. <laughs> <laughs> In case, like, at this glorious home birth, water birth, with all my most important people standing around, if if what I felt when I caught my baby in the tub was a wet, saggy scrotum of a newborn, um, what my game plan was going to be. And that's exactly how it ended up playing out. And um, 
with my three boys in attendance, watching and looking on, and of course, instantly falling in love with this little fourth boy. (laughs) What were the first words that came out of your mouth? Do you remember? Because I do. You go ahead and say it. I feel scrotum. (laughs) (laughs) And and definitely for all of us that knew you so well, I mean, there was a feeling in the room of, yay, healthy baby. And wow. (laughs) And wow. Yeah, yeah. Um, And and then my husband, too, you know, being so delighted and excited and never having cared, boy or girl, never having dreamed having four children, um, it really didn't matter to him. But remembering kind of the darkness and the shadow that overcame him because he was so worried about me and my mental health and my recovery, um, And that was what he was, you know, really focusing on. So I did see the therapist uh, with the newborn in tow, and it it turned out not being super helpful. Um, The therapist, you know, to their credit, I think really tried to get me to focus on general normative expectations, and she made recommendations like teaching my sons to sew and bake and um, you know, I have an older brother, and he. We were mostly raised by a single mother who is kind of a trailblazer and a, considers herself a strong feminist. And um, yeah, I think my brother and I were raised, especially my brother, was raised to be really independent, and we weren't raised necessarily in all traditional gender roles and responsibilities and expectations. And so that wasn't helpful. That wasn't the missing piece for me. Well, when, and when anyone says like, oh, it wasn't helpful with that therapist, I mean, me as a therapist lover, I'm just going to be like, yeah, that wasn't the right one. It, it wasn't because the right one. Because for me, it's not about teaching to sew. It's what I'm going to ask you right now. For our listeners, like, okay, girl, I'm, I'm a little confused. You got these four healthy people. Yeah. What, what, what is this yearning? I mean, what, I'm sitting across from you right now. I'm like, tell me viscerally how it, like, what, and again, I know it's a long time ago, but there was something inside of you that's like, no, I need a person to come out with the sexual female parts because I want, what, like, can you give me a little bit of what this is? It's, yeah, it's hard to identify. Um, and I would say yearning. I would say obsession. I mean, I wanted nothing more than to not want that missing daughter so much. You know, thinking about it every moment of every day. Can you give an example? I think, you know, whatever, you know, whatever your obsession is, whatever your vice is, whatever your thing that you wish you didn't want all day, every day, or think about, I mean, for some... For some people, you know, maybe it's addiction. It might be an eating disorder. It's like all I could think about was that missing piece. And, you know, friends would offer like, you can borrow my daughter for the day or, you know, take my kid to the nail salon or, you know, and I I was an auntie. I had a niece by then. Um, I absolutely loved you know, all of those things and buying her matching dolly, you know, mom and me dresses at Christmas and things that she wished for and longed for. But 
it was more about the relationships. It mm. was that relationship with my grandmother and mm. my mom and all of our aunties and our girl cousins. And um, I'm so close with each of my boys. But it wasn't the same as a mother-daughter relationship that I had in my head or that I had experienced as, as a daughter. And I never had a sister. So, you know, maybe that would have turned me off of wanting to have a daughter. Because well. that's a little closer, I think, to the mother-daughter relationship is is that sisterhood. But, um, yeah, that's that's all I can describe it as is this missing piece of this this relationship that I wanted that I couldn't have and I'm – I'm a Capricorn, I'm a redhead, and I'm stubborn, and I'm ambitious, and I think if there was something I could work for and make happen, I'm determined to have it, and this was this thing I couldn't control, and I couldn't have, and I couldn't achieve, um, and then fast forward. To Project Fancy? Not quite. Okay. Fast forward to another pregnancy. And um, fast forward mm. through some really cool, innovative so, medical technology and science where now we have pre- So, so wait, we got to pause, though. So you have four. And is Ben like, done, check you oh, later? Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Yep. And, and are you pissed at other friends that are having girls? Are you like, no, I'm going to do this? I mean, just no. where are you when you have a one-year-old boy? Are you like, we're done? Um... He, or is that stubbornness like, fuck y'all? Um, we were done. I was sad. And a condom failed. <laughs> like, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> so that idea failed. And there's a pregnancy. And all of a sudden, you know, I'm older. I have geriatric pregnancy. I'm advanced maternal age. All of the words. And um, and now there's this genetic screening that you can do um, at, what, nine weeks and find out. And so I had found out at 20 weeks, no good. I had not found out, no good. And I was like, you know what, let's, let's just, let's get into this and find out about our fifth boy and um, then get a vasectomy and, you know, raise our family. And um, what I didn't see coming, what I never thought, might happen because we do have this wonderful fertility and this wonderful blessing of healthy children is that um, everything wouldn't be okay. And so I started miscarrying and called the midwife who had done the genetic testing and sent it in and said, hey, can you shed a light on anything? And she said, um, chromosomal anomaly. And so um, not compatible with life and probably would continue to miscarry. And, you know, I happened to actually be attending a birth as a doula at the moment. And I was like, okay. And she's like, get out of there. So, um, you know, obviously had called my backup doula and passed the torch and everything was um, set with those folks. But I wasn't going to let that midwife off the phone without telling me all of the results of the genetic testing. And she said, go home, go home to Ben. We can talk tomorrow. I said, no way. You got to tell me. And she said I was a girl. And I was both devastated and, like, hopeful. I'm like, Ben makes girls. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, 
And I don't know if I want him to have a vasectomy now. <laughs> I don't. There's hope. But so much gratitude that, you know, this selfish, you know, careless piece of me that allowed myself to have another unplanned pregnancy, um, somehow the biology of it or my body or this baby didn't come into being with a horrible trajectory of her life um, where she would be born encircled by her brothers or have to be cared for by her brothers only to leave us really, really soon. I was just so grateful that that's how it worked out. She knew what to do. Yeah. So. Like so many miscarriages, they are such wise little beings. And I, I, you know, I thought maybe that was the daughter we were supposed to have. And, and that was it. And really just took some time to grieve through that. Um, but it definitely lit a, a fire in me about finding that daughter, um, maybe in a different way, right? Um, I had had people say, maybe it's your granddaughter. Maybe all these boys someday will give you a granddaughter. And, you know, maybe that was it. But I felt like she was out there and I needed to figure out how to find her, um, whether that was in traditional ways or non-traditional ways. And a dear friend of mine um, who was in, I think at the time she was, Sorry for the tissue sounds. This is me bawling at the bar. <laughs> You're not the first. Um, a dear friend of mine was in midwifery school at Georgetown, and she was listening to me on the phone, and she's like, isn't there some, like, sperm sorting or, you know, genetic I think we call it the black market. <laughs> uh, you know, she she's like, there's some really cool medical technology and oh, of taking your own. Yeah, yeah. Um, there, you know, there's something. And so, fast forward to goodness, um, you know, checking out fertility clinics and doing research and um, a lot of different things. And and at this point, Ben is like, I'm really good. <laughs> you know, we can be done. Um, and you're still having your obsession of, I mean, I, yeah, the, it wouldn't, it, you couldn't shake more it. More counseling, not able to shake it. Um, but, but less in a way of grieving and more in a way of hope. And mm. now I had a project, <laughs> right? And Hence. that same friend, <laughs> that same friend who, um, initially gave me some ideas about the med- med- medical technology that might be available, um, once we got there and named it. Project Fancy, which was a daughter for the Shire family. Uh, So we learned about embryo adoption. And um, it was something I was still really exploring. And uh, (laughs) I remember my dear husband was at Soldier Field in Chicago with you, Sarah. And, you know, you guys were chatting about it, chatting about embryo adoption. And, of course, like she always does, Sarah knew somebody. Rose. Rose. In New York? Yeah. New Jersey. Um, She was in New York. New York. Yeah. And just, just real quick for Project Fancy, too, there – so we know that financially this is a huge – for anyone doing IVF, first, fourth, whatever um, – Insurance doesn't cover it most of the time. And so you're a family who's living off of a doula income, 
a chiropractic income. You have four growing boys that grow real fast, real tall, that are active. Shoes. Lots of shoes. Lots of milk. <laughs> lots of milk and shoes. And when I, you know, when I think of that, I think of literally living, living in envelopes of cash. How much money can you spend for each thing? Yeah. And you, you have to decide what projects are you going to take on as doula clients, as extra things, and not redo the roof and change your life so that Project Fancy has a significant amount of money. And we're not talking 10000 We're talking double that, right? Yeah. Well, so for IVF, you know, depending on how many tries and what people do or if they need an egg donor or things, it can be in the hundreds of thousands. Um, embryo adoption, it can be a lot less expensive. There's still medications that you go on and things. But um, embryo and adoption in itself is um, – actually pretty inexpensive in mm. comparison with IVF. But yes, we were looking into this pretty huge undertaking. Mm-hmm. Um, ben. So let's give it a name. I mean, <laughs> right. Project Fancy. Um, and we were, I mean, we have student loans. We had all the bills. Like you mentioned, we were both self-employed. We were paying for medical insurance for major medical for the four boys that, of course, are going to, like, try to tumble down the stairs together in the same heap. It was a very um, – it was a very big idea. And Ben, at the time, we See, were – like, you're lo- – like, I got it. Like, I, I can't – like, what, what, what is this? Because, again, bird's eye view. Like, when, it, when is enough enough? Exactly. Right. So, like, that money could go to other things. So, yep. so he said, we cannot go into debt off this. We're not taking a loan, and it's not going to take away from anything else. Mm. And so that was a challenge for me to make it happen. Mm-hmm. And I did. Um, but you I just did worked your fucking ass off. my ass off. I yeah. really did. Um, I, you, you took every client. I attended all the births. I lost all the sleep. I and it felt I raised good doing all the it, chickens. Right? <laughs> she sold the eggs at the corner store. I, di- I didn't do that, but I should Mrs. have. Mrs. Olson, can you please buy some more eggs? <laughs> I tried offering the eggs as a trade to the fertility clinic, and they just didn't go for bartering. But um, I found out what the budget was, how much I needed, and I made it work. And and Rose in New York is staring at a screen, and she says to you, "I'm I'm looking at twenty to fifty female embryos." Yeah, and you're like, "I don't care where they're from, I just I'll take it." So yep. absolutely, I um so that means learned you- there's a process where when people get their IVF and they do an egg retrieval. Um, before they freeze the embryos, um, they can take a single cell biopsy of this microscopic embryo and send it in, and it's genetic blueprinting. And so this wonderful technology was not invented for family balancing of sex um, chromosomes. Can you say that one more time? And it's very controversial, right? Because of course it is. we're talking, you know, people wanting to make boutique babies of certain eye color or it was interest. It was innovated for um, you know, chromosomal anomalies that are not compatible with life or that are 
very serious, uh, like cystic fibrosis, where if somebody is doing IVF, they will select the healthiest embryos to give those embryos the best chance. Which I'm going to say is controversial in itself, Absolutely. Too. Like, 100%. Like, I mean— And then to utilize that technology for sex selection is is a whole nother story, right? Um and so there's clinics that wouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I checked, and um, the the ones in the Midwest, um, including University of Minnesota, would not take me mm-hmm. for family balancing. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sorry. What does family balancing mean? Um, however many of whatever sex that a certain family would want, I suppose. Like – I'm driving through in the McDonald's. I take two two cheeseburgers, two chicken sandwiches. To be honest, it's what I think most people want. It's what um, every birth that I attend, you know, the nurse or the doctor or the family announces it's a boy or it's a girl. And most of the time, if people already have one at home, what they say or one, you know, in the house, they say, oh, good, you know, now we can be done or... We have mm-hmm. one of each, or this is the perfect. You no, know, not everybody. Some people want two boys or two girls, or. Um, but I think it's a pretty common desire that people have, at least in my um, experience, when I witness it. Well, and happening. maybe, and and it's a common desire too. That wouldn't you say that most people don't talk about? Because how dare they say that they want something? Oh, absolutely! It yeah. always starts with just, a caveat of, just, oh, oh, I'll I'm be what, happy with whoever healthy, healthy, it is. Healthy, yeah. Yep, yep. Um, I would be so happy. Um, or they put it off on somebody else. But grandma really wants, or my sister mm-hmm. has all boys, or my husband, or can my I, wife. Can I just, a personal example of, of owning Bluma, I, I literally cannot believe that in all the years, Bluma will be 14, is 14, and I will never forget only one mom coming in, standing on her mat when we did intros, she had just found out she had she was only planning on having two. She had a boy. She had just come from an ultrasound and she was bawling. She said, "I know this is wrong to say, but I'm just going to say it out loud. I, I don't want to, but like I wanted something else." And the sigh in the room, and the, the judgment in the room, both, both judgment and thank you for saying what I've been the wanting relief. to say. Yeah. And how many people are like, "I'm not finding out because of that," and and yet here we are talking about gender and. I, I just call bullshit to all of it, right? Because who yeah. the hell knows? I mean, you're going to go adopt this embryo somehow, some way. And I'm like, and guess what, Emily? She's going to be more masculine. They are going to be more masculine than yeah. any other one of your boys. So bring it. It's, it's, but it's just so interesting that what, as a birth doula, if you don't know or you do know the gender, you, you put a microphone in any birth room in the United States right now, Within 30 seconds to one minute of that child coming out, some comment is made about the genitalia between their legs, mm-hmm. and it's put into an identity of what we are. Yeah. And I, I'm hoping to change that, and yet here I am sitting across from you who's craving this anatomy. <laughs> I mean, Absolutely. So so what happens? So um, we embark on... A trip to uh, your friend Rose in New York's one of her the sister for I've never met her just to tell you yeah friend of a friend of a friend of a friend I've spoken with her on the phone she's lovely she was actually on uh, family leave with her first baby when I met her over the phone and she essentially just she was an embryologist and so she told me how common this was and how many millions of 
um, what they call snowflakes. I'm not, I don't know that I identify with that because they're frozen embryos. And what happens is when people, whether they get an egg donor or they put together their, their own DNA or however they're wanting to do this, um, perhaps if they're using a surrogate, they create embryos and then they're frozen or they're fresh and they put them in through in vitro or an embryo transfer into the carrier's uterus. And so um, she, you know, told me about this and she said, but so many people will get, I mean, sometimes they get 30 viable embryos that are in the cryopreservation area of the clinic and they will go on to maybe transfer one or two or five, but eventually there's a bunch left. And then what do they do with them? And Mm -hmm. so there's this another controversial decision of do we put them all in in our childbearing years? And I know of stories of people who are just haunted by their frozen embryos. They have them named. They don't want to continue having children, but they feel bad not putting them in. Or you're given the option to donate them to people that want them and are willing to transfer them like and carry you, them. But it has to have a vagina. Well, um, and I I was only interested in the ones of a certain chromosomal makeup. I, I was so, I was a yeah. post, I was a postpartum doula for a family and uh, they had a little two year old and she looked at me once and she goes, Can you believe that he was frozen for like four years? Well it really, this whole topic of embryo adoption, it, it's mind-blowing. Um, it, you know, the embryos that we were looking at, because we already had children and because I was older and because we were taking, um, we were going to be looking at anonymously donor embryos. Um, we weren't given like the top priority, <laughs> essentially. We were like, I wonder why. really, we're good um, with just any, you know, we've been so dude, grateful. The, I mean, you, you met her and you got out there fast. Yeah. Well, um, so I also, I mean, we had to go through psychological testing. It was Amen. sort of like for an adoption. Amen. Right? Or foster. Um, and genetic testing. And we went through all of that and determined that other than the loss of our our daughter that had a trisomy 22, um, we've had very healthy pregnancies and can carry healthy pregnancies. And so, um, you know, yeah, it went pretty quick for us fertility-wise. And I had to get on all the medications and all the cycle and do all the monitoring and all of this. But um, at the end of the day, they said, yeah, we've, we've got a cohort um, for you of these embryos that were donated, and, you know, you can choose how many to put in. Um, and then it's kind of a matter of, well, the ones that had been cryopreserved for quite a while were um, considered not quite as viable as the others, and that's what we ended up having was a cohort that was actually older than our youngest son. Stop it. I don't, you didn't know that? (laughs) So, um, we did, we did a cycle, um, and actually my mom went with me for that first one. So your mom went to the first. Yeah. Didn't take. It, well, they, uh, no, it didn't take. But the second you went with Ben and you had two put in you. Correct. Even though he said, whatever the fuck you do, we're not having twins. Right. And you still put in two. Well... (laughs) 
We planned to only put in one the first time, and the fertility clinic made a mistake. And I got out to New Jersey with my mom, and the embryologist came in and showed me a picture of the two embryos that they were prepared to transfer. And my mom and I looked at each other, and I, like, wanted to be like, can I keep it? You know, can I have them both? don't tell anybody. And my mother was post-menopausal, right, like 70 years old. And she's like, I'll take one and you take one. Like, how do we, you know. Um, but they said, it's okay, we can we can freeze it. And, you know, that's not what you asked for. And I certainly wasn't going to make that decision. Um, <laughs> Wait, why against... did your mom go to the first one? Because it was Halloween weekend and we had four boys that and wanted you were to go ovulating training. And, and you needed the Clomed and you, that was the window of time to go. Exactly. You yeah. go when they tell you you have to go. Yeah. Um, and so, On a plane in a hotel. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. you went to the car. I remember this. Okay. Uh-huh. So what happens to those? So we we um, transferred one, and it did not implant. It didn't take. So not pregnant. That um, was October. Yep. What happened to your soul? That's okay. I got one more chance. I got Kind of, chance. yeah. Because you had money. You had enough money for... A round two. Right on. Yeah. Let's um, do round two. It was okay. You know, um, you know, I looked at the odds and they weren't great. So we then we did another round and it took and it miscarried. And but not I, early. I mean it was a twelve. N- it never was looking really right. Like they monitor every second of every day yeah. and it never looked like the numbers, and when you mean monitor, you mean when you come back to Wisconsin, you're having to go get your blood checked and everything. All of that positive yeah. pregnancy test, but kind of delayed. HCG wasn't very high. Um, yes, thing, yes, yes, but blah blah. No, yeah. It was no, it was kind of an almost, but not quite, and then a miscarriage, and I was, I was okay. I mean, I was. Because I felt it the whole time. It was like, yeah. it doesn't feel like it's it's a, it's going to happen. So two rounds and you're like, we're done. And we're done. And that's, we had given ourselves a limit. And when then we were done. And then. Um, Did you find a new therapist? <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah, that had been years earlier. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then a little further down, we had an, a kind of a surprise last attempt it's, it, it, it might take a few minutes to tell this attempt, but um, can I sum it up? Yeah. Emily Shire is ridiculous with money. She has a beautifully tight budget with four growing boys with milk and shoes, and you knew exactly how much was in that budget that you gave to the fraternity clinic yep. in New York. Yep. You did it twice. You were starting to slowly come to peace. There yep. was a piece of you that was like, all right, I got to settle into what is. Yep. It was the beginning of August. Mm-hmm. You get a call and they say, we want to check in, see how you're doing. We want to see how you are emotionally, physically doing. You've had two rounds with us. It didn't work. And you're like, we're done. We're done. And they simply say, what would you like us to do with this extra credit in your account? Which and then your mouth drops because you're like, how much? And they say this is exactly the amount that you would need for one more round. You're like, there's what? And you had the drugs. I had leftover medications. um, Had to get a little bit more. And um, I said, let me call my local clinic, the fertility clinic. And she looked at my cycle and said, come in on Monday. What day was that? 
Um, it was like the 4th of August or something. And a Monday was in a few days. Yeah. Oh, like in two days. And um, <laughs> and then it was uh, the 21st of August. Okay, but wait, wait, wait. That so, I went out there. Okay, so. 20th. Something. So you walk up to your husband and he, this is this is what I believe the story is. You walk up to your husband, you say, the clinic called. I have this much left. I can do one more round. And I believe he said something like, great, you're on your own. <laughs> I'm not going. Don't tell anyone. The only person you can bring is Sarah. Maybe something like that. I mean, yeah. not, I'm not tooting my own horn. but right. And basically, you did the drugs. You fly out solo by yep. yourself, rent a car, go there, get an embryo in you, don't even spend a night in a hotel. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was there a couple nights. Oh, phew. Thank God. Yeah. They have to monitor and there's, you know. I, but it's not that long, I remember. You it's were... not. It's a, I would think it was two nights and I hung out in New Jersey by myself on the down and low and relaxed. It was a wonderful trip. I went actually went to the ocean and I picked up some seashells and just once the embryo had been transferred and hung out on the beach and... Uh, brought some of those shells home, and they sit on my daughter's dresser. Nine months later. Yeah. At night, in your home, mm-hmm. with little people around your tub. Yeah. Your doula on FaceTime. Yeah. And my oldest, my 13-year-old, who has wanted to be at all the births of his siblings, um, skin to skin in a rocking chair holding my daughter, his little sister. He's her godfather. So, are you complete? Did it fill what you were looking for? Well, that's another podcast because she is a handful. I am, oh, my cup overfloweth, Sarah. Yes, I am complete. Our whole family is complete with her. I just had to follow my intuition. I knew she was out there. And she wasn't supposed to be number two or number four. She was out there in a different way, and I had to find her. And I found her in New Jersey <laughs> all by myself. And, and her daddy loves her. <laughs> she doesn't give anyone a choice. You got to love Poppy. Yeah. She's Penelope Jane. She is a miracle. And, yeah, I, and I, you know, she was just waiting in the dark in the freezer. She just loves cold things to this day. She's naked <laughs> all the time. Yep, and she loves ice and popsicles and ice skating and Wisconsin and winter. And um, she loves us. Yeah. And she kind of likes froofy dresses. Are <laughs> very, very feminine. A little bit of everything. Yeah. 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 Cheers. Cheers. Here's to all of the frozen little people. (laughs) Here's to all of the families who are yearning and who have hope. Here is to negative pregnancy tests and positive pregnancy tests. Here is to hopefully a really awesome person that you can belly up next to at the bar to share your truth. And I'm so grateful that you shared your truth today with me and with others. It's, uh, 
it's no joke, this thing called parenting, and it's no joke to have an intuition and to crave certain things. And before I take my last sip and <laughs> say goodbye to my bartender, I just got to say, I'm the one that wanted five boys in a basketball team. I know you did. And you wanted one little girl. I, this <laughs> life happens. I love you guys. I can't wait to um, hear your questions, your comments about this podcast. Um, I'm sure there is a full range because it's, it is a controversial topic. Um, we will have Emily back to talk more. Have a great day, everybody. Don't forget, before you leave belly up, take a deep breath. Feel your body. Know that you were born frozen, not frozen, however you came into this world. You absolutely have a place. And we are so blessed that you came a part of our community. So don't be a stranger. I love you guys. Have an awesome rest of your day. Happy belling up to wherever you may land. Cheers. Belly Up is a Bluma production. It's produced by the one and only Michaela Finnegan at the Minnehaha Recording Studio right here in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Hi, this is Emily Shire. I hope you've been enjoying Belly Up. I am a mom, I am a doula, and I'm a doula trainer. So if you've heard things you like about supporting growing families and you are interested in becoming a doula, birth or postpartum, you can contact me regarding a doula training in an area near you. You can either go in the Twin Cities to bluma.com, or you can find me at doulanow.org. That's D-O-U-L-A now.org. Hi, this is Mary from Bluma. Thank you so much for being part of the Bluma community. We're so happy you're here. We love hearing from our families, and as a small business, one of the most powerful things you can do is share your stories with us. I love when you take us on Instagram, leave a Google review, or email me your birth story or photos from class. This is a great way that we can share the Bluma love and reach new folks who could use a little Bluma in their lives. Find us at Bluma.com. Mm-hmm.